I take this opportunity to salute all saints in the body of Christ in our fellowship here in Uganda. Times <clears throat> are changing very fast. And uh, a month ago, you wouldn't have imagined that I would minister the word of God to a virtual congregation. We must keep ourselves alive, spiritually speaking, under the circumstances. As we start on this method of having church services, I pray that the saints of God will cooperate and find the time to listen to what the servants of God will have to say. One pastor asked me a very hard question, I would say. He said, Brother Meme, do we have a message on coronavirus? That was a hard question to answer. But I told him, I don't have a specific message on uh, coronavirus or COVID-19 apart from what the Word of God says about the situation. I also told him that neither have I had any message from Des Moines regarding the same. And it was just two days later that I had a message from Brother Glenn Goodwin on coronavirus. I'm going to try to paraphrase Brother Glenn Goodwin's message on COVID-19. If you are able, <clears throat> you can listen to him directly by yourself. But I would like to start this message by paraphrasing, I mean, I'm going to put it in my own language, my own terminology. I'm trying to break it down to where some of my saints can understand. I know if they listened to Brother Glenn Goodwin directly, they would not get all that they needed to get. So many times I try to break down and bring the message to our level. And so even in this message, I'm going to try to break down and add in scriptures here and there to make what he said even more meaningful to where by the end we complete, by the end of completing this message, uh, somebody will have understood uh, what Brother Goodwin said. I would like to start with the scripture in the book of Matthew, <clears throat> chapter 25. We've often looked at this uh, scripture, the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Verse 1 says, Then shall the kingdom be likened unto 
ten virgins which took their lamps and uh, went forth to meet the bridegroom. Um, I would like to say something about the bridegroom. The bridegroom here is Jesus Christ. Time would fail me to explain, but the bridegroom here refers to Jesus Christ. The bride is the 144,000 that we find in the book of Revelation. If I can digress a bit here. The book of Revelation chapter 14. The Bible speaks about the number of the bride and the qualifications of the bride. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. A name bespeaks of a nature, it bespeaks of the character, so the father's name in not on their foreheads in would mean in their intellect forehead there would intellect in their thinking in their mind so the father's name there would be the father's nature they have the father's nature in their mind in their intellect in their thinking. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. So on and so forth, the qualifications. I don't want to go deep into that. It will digress so much from my message. But the number we are given here is the number of the bride. The bride is numbered. It's not just the whole church, but a selection from the whole church. So the bride is the 144,000 that will be raptured to heaven at a point in time in the future. <clears throat> like I was saying, the church is not the bride. The bride is a selection, selected a number of saints that are taken in the first phase of the first resurrection. These are the first fruits. When you have a garden, whether of millet or a garden of maize, there are crops of fingers that ripen earlier than the rest. That's the first fruit. They ripen earlier than the rest of the garden. So the bride of Jesus Christ is likened to those fruits or mirrored fingers that mature 
earlier than <clears throat> the rest of the garden. So, these are the ones that are going to have immortality. They are going to have a non-dying body. That's what immortality is all about. No death. They are not subject to death at all. Our message on the first resurrection has all that, and that's why many of us that have been in the body of Christ for some time, we have this message on the first resurrection. It would be good to go back and remind yourself of the same message. Going back to our uh, scripture, our chapter, in Matthew chapter 25, and verse 2, and five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. It's a known fact that among God's people, among God's children, there are always those that are wise, there are always those that are foolish. And uh, doesn't the scripture say in Psalms chapter 14, for we can turn to Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 14, and um, see what the Bible says about the fool, Psalms 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do with good. Nobody this here what this would what would this mean? Nobody can stand up and say if there are any there are very few people that can stand up and say there is no God. How does one say there is no God? By your actions, the decisions you make, the plans you make, the things you do can let us know in your heart you are saying there is no God. And in that case, you can be one of these foolish virgins. The things you do, uh, the time you spend, where you go, whom you associate yourself with, whom you rub shoulders with, your bodies, uh, the places you visit, the plans you have will determine whether you know there is a being called God. Uh, it is easy to say, well, I know, I believe in God, I know there is a God, but is that revealed in the things that you do, in the plans that you have? <clears throat> is it revealed in the way you relate to other people? Or you just say, and when it comes to actions, you are different. So, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
you can say in your heart uh, that there is no God by the way you act, the way you think, the way you conclude. We go back to our uh, chapter, Matthew uh, 25, and we now go to verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. I want to say something about oil right here. Many people in the gospel field, church world, they say oil is the Holy Ghost. But this wouldn't make sense if we say oil here is the Holy Ghost. Oil here is not the Holy Ghost. Oil is the word of God. And I hasten to add, it is the correct interpretation of the word of God. That's oil. The correct interpretation of the word of God. So, in this particular chapter, uh, the oil, probably there could be instances in the Bible where oil can refer to the Holy Ghost, but... Um, uh, when we come to this chapter, all right here just represents the word of God. Then, Matthew still 25, we are going to read verses 4 and 5. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Hallelujah. They all slumbered, both the wise and the foolish. What does this mean? Uh, first of all, I would like to say something about a vessel. A vessel represents, can represent a person. Apart from the literal meaning, a vessel can represent a person. If you can turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4, First Thessalonians chapter 4, if you can... We can look at it for a moment here. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Here Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, is saying you should know how to uh, present, uh, to possess, sorry, to possess his vessel, yourself. In other words, a vessel, it is confirmed here, 
represents a person. You yourself as an individual know how to possess your soul. You as a person know how to present or to possess yourself. So a vessel here uh, could mean a person. And um, verse 5, going back, we will be going back every now and then to our passage, Matthew 25, verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Uh, we have learned in this fellowship, thank God for the messages that go on in the body of Christ. We have learned in this fellowship that a sleepy condition is going to come upon the church of Jesus Christ. Right here we see both the wise and foolish virgins slumbered and slept. So this foolish, I mean this sleeper condition is not only going to come upon the foolish children of God, but even the wise children of God. When you sleep, you are inactive. You are not active. You are not doing something. You are sleeping. So, it will be a time when you don't care to be active in the things of God. You don't care to be active in the work of God. You are, too, uh, you are lazy to pray. You are lazy to read the Bible. You are lazy to witness, to tell somebody about Christ, to tell somebody about the body of Jesus Christ, to win somebody to the church. You are too lazy. You are sleeping. You are sleepy. Uh, you are inactive. You can't go out and witness to somebody. You can't go out and talk to somebody. You are sleeping. It's sad that this condition is going to come upon us where we are not active in the things of God. We are lazy to witness. You are lazy to give to the work of God. You don't care whether the work of God continues, whether the church bills are paid or not. You, you don't care. Uh, you use money on yourself. You use money on what your soul craves for. You don't care whether the bills of the church are paid. You are just too lazy to do that. So, you are lazy to go and work at the church. Some of our churches in the body of Christ have uh, property, they have premises, uh, they have church buildings, they have some offices, they have the compound, and saints in those particular churches have the privilege to go and work at church, to go and keep those facilities clean so that there is a testimony to the body of Christ. To go and clean, to go and sweep, go and mow, uh, go and uh, pick rubbish. You know, 
you are too lazy to go and work at church. You are lazy to encourage another child of God. You see somebody has weakened, somebody who you were attending a church with is no longer interested in the things of God, is weak. Uh, you really can sense that he's weak. Hardly says praise the Lord. Hardly talks about the things of God when you engage him in a conversation. Doesn't make mention of God at all. Neither of the church, neither of the saints of God, the man of God, the work of God, doesn't. And you just realize he has become weak. But you are too lazy to go and encourage somebody in that uh, situation. You are too lazy to go and uh, uh, lift those uh, weak knees, the knees that uh, are weak, and the hands that bend down. You are lazy to visit a child of God in a hospital. It's a time that uh, some of our saints, like we have here in Mbale, we have Saint uh, Daughter of Israel in the hospital, but you are too lazy to go and check on them. Some are in their homes. You are too lazy to go and check on them. You say, I have no time, I can't walk. Uh, it's too hot. I don't have the energy. A sleepy condition coming upon the church, upon the children of God. This is quite bad. Then we go back to Matthew 25, verses 6 through 8. He says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins, the foolish and the wise, all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Our lamps are gone out. We have been taught in this fellowship that the wise virgins had oil in their vessels, even the scriptures spelt it out with their lamps. The oil is an interpretation of the word of God that helps one to cope with the times. An interpretation, I say, an interpretation of the word of God that helps one to cope with the times. Every child, uh, not all children of God live in one age. Not every one of us are faced by the same uh, problems and conditions, situations. 
I know there are similar conditions and sometimes situations, but not to the dot. Every one of us, we live in our age, in our generation. Now, when a man of God stands up, opens the word of God, does he give us a message that helps us to cope with the times? That gives us wisdom on how to live in the times we are living in. That gives us knowledge and understanding on how to live in the situation that we are faced with. That would be knowledge. That will be oil. That will help us how to relate with the situation at hand. So it is important for us to understand, to have an understanding from the word of God. An interpretation from the scriptures that helps us to cope with the times. How do I relate to this situation that is at hand? How do I conduct myself? How do I behave uh, in this situation? There must be a message. There must be the word of God that helps us, that gives us wisdom and helps us how to live in the situation that we are faced with. So, it is a message that will help you to cope with the times that you are living in. Look at the messages that many preachers in our day, in our times, are giving to the world or are giving to their saints today. The prosperity gospel uh, that we hear all the time, whether on television, radios, crusades, prosperity gospel, take your miracle, trala, chamagero, trala, 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 chamagero, take your miracle, have your miracle, you are going to get an American visa, just believe, trust, trust God, sow a seed, and God will answer your prayer. You want to go to the U.S., and you have been, it has been hard for you to get a visa, just sow a seed, and I will pray for you, and you will get an American visa, and you will be gone. Uh, you are going to build an arcade. Poverty is going to be something of the past. Just sow a seed. And uh, poverty will be something of the past. You are going to get a breakthrough. You are going to drive. You've walked for so long. You've been on foot for so long. But you are going to drive. You are going to build a house. I tell you, you've been renting for so long. You are going to build a house. You are going to buy a plot. I tell you, you have rented for so long. You have given people money, and they have become rich. I tell you, sow a seed, and God is going to bless you with what you want, whether you want to go abroad. Those are the messages that go in, in our world. My question is, can such messages explain the coronavirus? 
can such messages of prosperity, breakthroughs, going to another level, can such messages explain the COVID-19? We are faced with this coronavirus. What do we do? What are we to do? Saints of God, let's be firm where we stand. I know we teach about faith. We believe in God and we encourage people to have faith. But apart from, apart from that, we give messages that help us to live in our world. Messages are given that can help us to relate to people, relate to our brothers and sisters, relate to the world in times like this. We are going to receive messages in the body of Christ that will help us cope with the times that we shall be living in. This is the time we need the sons of Issachar. In the scriptures in First Chronicles, there was this tribe, the sons of Issachar. In First Chronicles, chapter 12 and verse 32. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had an understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their command. Uh, all their brethren were at their commandment. Now, like I was saying, this is the time that we badly need the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar, like we have read in the scripture, had the understanding of the times. And they could tell the rest of Israel what they needed to do at any particular time. They knew what God expects the children of Israel to do at any time. They had the understanding of the times. We must be humble. We must humble ourselves and listen to the men God has honored to have an understanding that they can explain the times. They can explain our times. What kills us and especially preachers like myself is pride. Once you are a preacher, you believe God has called you, you believe God has given you a message, and you cannot just repeat or preach another man's message. Uh, preaching another man's message, you think it will make you an inferior preacher. And uh, so you go around, you will be saying, God has called me, I have an anointing. And if God has not 
called in a profound way, you'll begin to manufacture your own plans. Uh, where are the men that will be like uh, Timothy? And these words that you have heard of me among many witnesses, commit thou unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Where are men that can humble themselves? Where are preachers? Where are elders that can humble themselves? And listen to a man that has been called, a man with a profound call, that can explain the scriptures that we might not understand. Can we be humble enough and listen to such men? Or we say that would mean that God has not called me. It's pride that destroys us. When you repeat or preach another man's message, that doesn't mean you are inferior. Uh, God has called you. And uh, the fact is, maybe, is that you have not been called in such a profound manner. You would be blessed if you humbled yourself and just uh, preached a message that God has given to his children through this man that God has called in a profound manner and uh, he helps to explain what is going on in our world. So instead of struggling to build our own ministry, our own ego, and have and, no, and not have much to feed the sheep, you really don't have much to feed the sheep when such a spirit that you want to build your own ministry is upon you. Why don't we listen to the men that God has touched? Personally, God has not called me in a profound way where I can explain the mysteries that we find in the scriptures and uh, give profound direction to the people of God. I know God has not called me in that direction. But God has called me in a certain angle. By his grace, he has bestowed upon me, I can humble myself and preach another message. I mean a message from another servant of God and bless God's people. So, I'm just going to, I've said all that to say this. I'm just going to paraphrase what I heard from Brother Glenn Goodwin on what he said on COVID-19. Um, I may not be perfect like he did since the message is not from me and also knowing my limitations, but I will do the best I can, God being my helper. I would like to present it to where many of our people, we have churches in our 
villages and we have dear servants of God that probably would not pick much from directly from Brother Glenn Goodwin but can listen to this and probably pick something. So I'll just put it in my own words where I can and uh, other times I will just say it like he said. So I pray that the Lord blesses us as we go through this. Uh, Brother Glenn Goodwin said we are facing a unique situation. It's unique in that we have never faced this situation before. What situation am I talking about? I'm talking about COVID-19, this coronavirus. He said never in the history of the world has there been a worldwide disease like this one, COVID-19. What we remember that affected the entire world in the scriptures was Noah's flood. The flood that took place in the days of Noah. That affected the known world then, the entire world then. The Black Plague affected mainly Europe and Asia. Those of us, or those of you that have read history, European history, I'm sure you are conversant of the Black Plague uh, that affected Europe and Asia. This plague went one area at a time. The Black Plague never covered the entire world. This coronavirus has circled the world in a matter of weeks. I mean, you hear one nation after another, they have tested positive, the first suspect. One nation after another. And Uganda has not been spared. You know, modern transportation has allowed the disease to spread all over. We glory in the traveling by plane, flying. It's exciting for the first time, flying over nations. That's the good side of it. You can reach uh, areas that would take months and months if you went by sea or by road. But you can, within hours, go from one nation to another. But that mode of transport has really helped this disease to cover the world over. It has never happened 
in the history of this world. Governments have assumed emergency powers, ignoring constitutional rights to close down temporarily church services and congregating. Like you know, they have put travel bans, and this is not only in Uganda, it's many nations of the world. They have put travel bans, they have closed restaurants, they have closed malls, shopping centers, they have closed shops, schools have been closed, tertiary institutions, universities, and the like, all have been closed. Borders have been closed. I want you to note there is a freedom that many of us haven't, there is a, not, sorry, pardon me, there is a loss of freedom that many of us haven't given thought about. In all that, recognize, because now we will be talking in biblical terms, recognize that there is a loss of freedom in all these measures that are put in place. And they are good measures helping to curb the virus. But as children of God, what do we learn? That's why we are talking about this coronavirus. Recognize there is a loss of freedom in all this. So this coronavirus is a serious health threat. There is no question about that. It is not a joke. It's not a play. Nobody should play around with it. It's important for us to give heed. Like here in our country, what the Minister of Health has guided us to do, what they have told us to do, washing hands, uh, social distancing, um, putting on masks, and the like. It is for our own good, it's for our own survival. So it's not a joke. Um, it's not like some quarters say there are evil spirits that needed to be cast out. This is a disease, a serious disease. This unseen killer is stalking the world. Governments have adopted totalitarian methods. I mean whatever the government says, there is no reasoning about it. You have to obey. Whatever is said, you have to obey. If you don't obey, you will, put, you will be put in jail. You will be locked up. Are there, our question is, the question is, are there any biblical implications on this coronavirus? That's why we need the sons 
of Issachar. We need an explanation from men that God has touched. This coronavirus has produced a worldwide panic. The world is in a panic. Everybody is panicking, wondering. They are wondering, what is going to happen? What is next? Where is the world going? What are we going to do? What will become of my children? If I went, if my wife went, and the children survived, and some of us that are aging, what will happen? So many questions. Are there any biblical implications on this coronavirus? The answer is yes. There is a biblical or there are biblical implications and we would like to explore them. Brother Glenn Goodwin helped us here to explore what we are going to have right here. There are also some truths that God's people need to keep in mind as we face this crisis. There are some truths that God's people need to keep in mind as we face this crisis. The first and the most important point is listen very carefully the first and the most important point is the ecclesia the called out one ecclesia the church the body of Christ the ecclesia must remember that we are not to fear. Ecclesia just means called out ones. The church of Jesus Christ is the ecclesia. So we must remember that we are not to fear. We are sheltered with the arms of God. The Bible says Fear not. And it is interesting to note that the Bible says fear not 366 times. You remit the Bible saying fear not. Fear not. In other words, every day of the year you shouldn't fear. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. In Second Corinthians chapter five, Second Corinthians chapter five, for we can turn to Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seven. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not 
by sight. We walk by faith and not sight. What does that mean? We must have faith in the unseen God. We must have faith in the unseen God. Conditions right now, when you look at what is happening, the freedom we have lost, uh, you begin having a fear. What next? What is going to happen? What shall I do? How shall I feed my children? How shall we exist? You can really have a fear in your heart. But we must have faith in God. We must have a faith walk. In other words, you believe in God that God is going to say what he said he would do. Faith is not just a saying like some people say, I believe I'm going to have a car. I believe with the whole of my heart that I'm going to have a car. I'm going to drive. I believe with the whole of my heart that I'm going to have an arcade in the city. I believe with the whole of my heart that I'm going to go abroad. I believe, I believe, I believe. It's good for you to believe. But many times we have said, faith simply means obedience to God's word. Don't believe for something that God has not said he will do for you. And uh, don't just foolishly get a hold of even that which does not apply to you and think God is going to do this. I'm going to have this. Uh, I must know what God has said. Then when I come to know what God has said, then I have faith and confidence in that which he has spoken in his word. There I will be believing God uh, according to what he has said. So, that faith walk is not just in good times, but it is especially true for troublesome times and dangerous times. Not only good times. If I can ask my brother on the keyboard to play us, sing us for the God of the mountain together. He's still God in the valley.
Lord of the day. God of the mountain. God is not a God of the good times only when you're on the top of the mountain. He's also a God in the valley. When you are down, down in the valley, things are not going the way you want them to go. We must take great comfort in God's promises. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, because of time I will not turn to that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall doth man live. And I wanted also to look at the book of Job, chapter 23 and verse 12, 23 verse 12. The scripture says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We must take comfort in God's word. We must have a hunger for God's word. He feels the hungry soul with the good things. Then in Psalms 23, Psalms 23 and uh, verse 1, oh, I was in Job, Psalms 23 and we must Trust that God is our God. Uh, actually, it's verse 4 that I want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Whatever hard time you are going through or you will go through, God will be with you right there. He has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. Our hearts should not be troubled. The scripture says here in John 14, John 
chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we should not be troubled, neither should we fear, because he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. That's our comfort, that's our joy, that God is not going to leave us. Uh, working to close this message in Psalms 34, as the keyboard prepares uh, a last song, Psalms 34 and verse 1, we should have comfort in God's word. Uh, God's word gives us the answer. Psalms 34 verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is what we should be doing in these hard times. Bless the Lord at all times. Sing unto the Lord. Don't, don't just keep your mouth shut. Sing a song. As you cook, as you walk around your house, in your house, sing unto the Lord. Verses 3 and 4. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. The Lord will deliver us. When our, our hearts are overwhelmed, the Lord will deliver us from every kind of fear. Let not our hearts be filled with fear. Let's know that there is a God above. There is a living God above who is in control. We shouldn't panic. We shouldn't fear. We should trust God that God knows what is going on. Verses 6 and 7. Uh, this poor man cried, and the Lord had him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encompassed around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Look at that. See how God is concerned about us. Then Psalms 91, Psalms 91, And uh, verses 1 through 6. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare 
of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. This noisome pestilence, something is going to be said in the coming messages. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. The truth of the word of God that we, shall, that we have received and are yet to receive should be our shield. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence, the coronavirus that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. My God, see the promises of God. Then verses 9 through 13. Because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Look at that. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? This coronavirus will not come nigh our dwelling place. For he shall give the, his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under thy feet, under feet. So, those are promises to assure us that God is with us. He's not going to leave us. He is with us. Whatever we are going through. And uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I think the last scripture before I close up, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, uh, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. God has never given his children the spirit of fear. We shouldn't fear. We should trust God. Our faith and confidence should be in God. I have not finished this message, but we are going to be giving it out in series. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, there is a message. Whatever our cameraman will uh, say, some minutes, so try to get some data and uh, listen to the word of God that can keep us in this uh, troublesome times that we are going through. Let's continue praying, talking to God, praying about the meeting. We have not given up. 
Let's pay our pledges. Let's pay our tithes, our offering, whatever we, we have pledged in the church. Let's go right ahead as though there is no coronavirus. We trust God gave us this meeting and we are working to see that it becomes a success. Don't sit down and say, I don't think there's going to be a meeting. I don't think, I don't need to pay my pledge. You need to pay your pledge. You need to pay your commitment. We need to be faithful. Don't backslide. Don't backslide in this time. This is a time to get closer to God. So, next Wednesday, I will continue with the message. May the Lord bless you as we have one more chorus by the key, from the keyboard. Amen. <laughs>